0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This is a a brand new series we're launching. And the name of the series that you see on the screen right now is called Authentic. And the idea behind it is we're taking one of the most practical books of the Bible. As a matter of fact, it was so practical and, and the teachings were so plainly read and plainly understood that it almost didn't make its way into the Bible. That when the people were going through and trying to figure out what should be in and what should be out, this book almost didn't make it in because it just, for two things, because it has kind of a Jewish slant to it. But then also the other side of it is just so clear. It is so clear. So what we've said is that this series, we believe that this series is really to be authentic, and all of us want to be authentic. Amen? We want to be real. We, want, we don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be people who are progressing in our walk with Jesus. So what we've said is, to be authentic, we have to understand that there's a place where faith and real life meet. And that is what we're going after in this series. Now, I said, now just so I clear something up, this this is clear. It, it is, some of the things are just going to be so plainly understood but understand this, just because it's plainly understood doesn't mean you can do it all by yourself. Just because some of the teachings from James, from these, these chapters of James, are going to be like, duh, I already knew that. The tendency in moments like this, when things become so clear to us, the tendency is this, to receive it and think to, that we can do it all by ourselves. But can we be really, really honest this morning? That's impossible, because if it were possible, you would have already fixed yourself, Right? And it's impossible to fix yourself. So when we take the teachings of God's word, it isn't just the teachings of God's word. Just because it's clear to us doesn't mean that we can just go and we can just like take a Bob Vila mentality and just go do it ourselves. okay? We can't. So before we even get into the word and get into James 1.1, 1, 1, which is really where we're going to be, um, we're going to kind of go back into the Gospels a little bit because we're going to look at a biographical look of the, the author of this letter. But before we do any of this, I want to pray. So if we could all bow our heads, close our eyes, please. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us. Though the, the, the teachings of, of this, this letter are so clear, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit as what it says in John fourteen twenty six. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need Him as our advocate, our helper, our sustainer. We need the Spirit of God to speak into us and to command us to do what it is that we need to do. We need for Him to, to, to intercede for us in our prayer life when we're overwhelmed. And Father, we need, somebody in here needs, they, needs con- they need conviction. They need to know that their life is built on the, fain- the foundation of themselves and not the foundation of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would do a work in every one of us, that you would regenerate us, that you would make us new, to make us more like yourself. And we pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you make your way to James 1... Kind of give you a little bit of what's going on here. James 1 was uh, written in approximately A.D. 62, just in case you're like a history geek. That probably just made your day. you be like, I'm going to write that down. That may be the only thing that you hashtag on DBC The Authentic, and that would be sad. But anyway, it's A.D. 62 is the approximate uh, time that this letter was written. And you're going to see who the, the letter was written to in this verse that we're going to look at in James. Now we're going to be here for a couple months. Um, One of the reasons why is because we're going to go kind of a slow, methodical, and practical and theological look through this whole letter, but we're only going to get through one verse today. So it's going to be like that, okay? We're going to get through like one verse um that's sad for some of you you like to see your list person you're like man i want to check off 10 verses today you said we're going through james next week next week you don't want to miss miss next week next week you're gonna he doesn't waste any time in in this letter as a matter of fact he comes right out of the gate and you're going to see it next week he just absolutely overwhelms us with something next week that we have to have the spirit of god to help us work out in our lives, but James is, is a very practical book, as I have said, and let me just kind of give you an idea of the, what the, the culture was like when this letter was written. This is obviously after the resurrection of Jesus, after some things that had happened. at this day and age, the Roman people, they kind of controlled that whole area around Jerusalem and Judea. That's like New Testament time. That's probably not that surprising to you. But this is before the big persecution happened. In about A.D. 70, there was this widespread persecution of the Romans to the Christians. And it it was just going crazy. So it was kind of the buildup for that. But yet the persecution that was happening at this time was actually the Jewish people persecuting the Christian Jews. So right in this same time frame, the persecution that's happening. And one of the events that I would just like to... Just so you have some idea as to what's going on, because the, the culture was not very cheery toward Christians... Um, one of the verses that really has spoken to me, and actually we covered this last year um, when we were in our Collide series. But in Acts 4.12, there's, a, there's this interplay that's going on where the leaders of the early church are kind of, they're being taken into this religious monkey court. And they're just kind of being bantered back and forth. And yet, Peter stands up as, as the, the first among equals in the early church, and he says this in Acts 4.12. Boldly declares this in front of all the people who would persecute them, but they didn't stop the persecution. Acts 4.12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. And I have to tell you, the very time that Peter spoke this into existence before Luke wrote it and put it in in the writings of Acts, I have to tell you, even from that time before that time until today and until tomorrow, and it will keep going until we're not on earth anymore, this is still true. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is not mentioned over and over and over and over and over in the letter of James. But, but make no mistake, this letter is about Jesus. And, and the way that, that James interacts and he takes these Jewish ideas and he puts them into, a, a, into shaping our, a Christian worldview and the way that we're supposed to live our lives is profound. James one one says this. James one, one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Now to you, this may just look like, okay, here's an introduction and he's getting into some good stuff. But what if that is your mentality, you already missed some good stuff. Alright? You see, James was actually the half brother of Jesus. He was the half-brother of, of Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, in Mark six three, it speaks into this. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, at Jesus. Jesus said to him, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. So you see this mention in the Gospels that... Whoa, 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 that may have just rocked your world. Maybe you thought Jesus was like the only child. It was like, you know, it was just kind of Mary and Joseph hanging out, raising Jesus. There, there were other children after Jesus, after Jesus, that, that Joseph and Mary had through natural childbirth and the process thereof. So you see this mention in the gospel say, isn't this the carpenter? And this would be referring to Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James? The, the brother of James? That's this James. Notice that what he did not say. Notice James didn't say, well, in, in the beginning of his letter in James 1 1, notice it doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say I'm the brother of Jesus, look at me. Come on, peeps, look at me, brother of Jesus. After Jesus was gone, he, he dead, buried, resurrected, ascended up. James, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but we tend to be kind of name droppers in our culture, right? And yet, the, the, this letter that James wrote is not about James, it's about Jesus. So what does he say? He takes the attention and he draws it from himself and he puts it onto Christ there's maybe I'll give four different maybe things as some reasons why he didn't say the brother of Jesus Christ. Maybe for you, you'd be you'd feel a little bit better. And say, man, I really wish you would have said the brother of Jesus. I just I just, you know, I just really wish. Well, for one, it's believed that it was common knowledge to all the believers in that area that if if somebody said this is James, they already knew this was the half brother of Jesus. Because in the scriptures, anytime, there's a bunch of people named James in the scriptures, but in the scriptures, if it just says James, it was like, man, he was one of the early, he was like one of the pillars of the early church, and everybody knew James. But in the scriptures, you can look for yourself in the New, in the New Testament. Every time it says that James, if it's someone else, it'll say James, the son of such and such, which is identifying away from the James who wrote this letter. All right, you, I don't know about you, but I find that interesting. Many guys were named James in the New Testament. And yet if James, he he if he would have said that I am James, the brother of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, what, what would he have done? He would have taken the attention off of Jesus and put it onto himself. Says, Man, I'm writing this letter. You need to get this. This is from me. He's saying, No, 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 no. No, no, no. Understand something. He says, I'm James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, no, no, no. This is my half brother. Totally. You understand that this you understand who I am. But I'm a servant of God. So this is, this letter isn't about me. I'm not writing it to these people just so they would hear me speak or so that my words would carry weight. He says, make no mistake. This isn't about me. I come to you as a servant Of Jesus Christ. As a servant. But honestly, you know, you go through and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our culture, we would totally be name droppers, right? For instance, I have one other person in here that is a Miami Dolphin fan, but everybody else is going to be convinced by the end of this talk, okay? There's one other person, actually maybe two. I'm not sure of Nanette, but I know that Van is. He's always on my team. Go Dolphins, right? Go Dolphins? There you go. That might be sacrilegious. I'm not really sure. Um, we'll pray later and cover it up. Um, so here's the deal. Like if, if, if I were around my, my dolphin friends, right, and I wanted to prove my, my street cred as a dolphin fan, what I would do is I would show them some of my dolphin memorabilia. I don't know if you, you can read this or not, but let me just <coughs> let me read it to you, okay? To Chad and Austin. That's me. I'm Chad. Austin's my son. Thanks for being fans. Now, I understand that when Dan wrote this, he missed a couple words. He should have said, thanks for being the most amazing fans on planet Earth of all time. I know you're totally devoted fans. You're like dolphin crazy. You're big fans of me. You remember back in 83 when I started? I didn't win a Super Bowl, but you're still fans. You know, I understand he missed some of those things, but I'm sure he was thinking it when he was writing it. And then it says, Dan Marino Course number 13, because if you're trying to prove that you're a, a dolphin fan or try and prove credibility to something, what you're going to do is you're going to try and draw attention to this this thing that you're trying to build up, right? Okay, so if this didn't work, what, what may happen is what I would say is I wanted to show you that I, I'm like a long-term fan. They've had like two helmet designs since this, right? Right, Van? That's legit. So... He read it on the Internet, so it, it has to be legit. And so there's been like two helmet designs. This this design, actually, I think probably came out in the 70s. I got this helmet in the early 80s. Notice how it's yellowed. It's incredible. I played a lot of football with this. But if I were around my Dolphin fans and I was trying to show them that I'm not just a fair-weathered fan or that I've been a legit fan for a long time, I would say, and they would, be able to write, they would draw attention to this and they'd be like, wow, that's old. Like, he's... That's for real. That's legit. He's been a fan for a very long time. You see, what I love about James in this, he could have drawn from all the experiences when he started this letter. He could have drawn from all these experiences. And he, he could have said, you know what? This is James, you know, the brother of, of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And this was to a bunch, this letter was written to a bunch of Christians, and he would have just drawn out his own importance. But he didn't at all. I love the fact that he goes in and he goes into it with this attitude. And it's the same attitude that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to have this attitude when you go into your walk with God, into your, into your personal study, or whether into your community group study that we'll start next week. That we're servants of God. He did not claim his own importance. Somebody needs to hear that in here today because some people think that the world revolves around them. Some people maybe think that or act that and maybe you're, you, you try and work your whole family into revolving around you. And when you come home from a bad day, you come in with a bad attitude and all of a sudden you are the sun and you make all of your, your family be the planets that are aligned to what you want them to do and orbit around your bad attitude. And drawing all attention to yourself. But wouldn't it be better if you set an example of servanthood before Christ? That you were humble? That you responded in grace? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, James didn't start out this way. James didn't start out this way. If you have your Bible or or a device, please go to Mark chapter 3. James didn't start out this way. It isn't like he was just like, wow, I knew there was something different about Jesus when we were kids. There was just something different about him. Like I was just like I was pulling my brother's hair and Jesus never pulled my brother's hair. It's like I just never understood. I was always like teasing my sisters and Jesus never teased his sisters. There must have been something different. As a matter of fact, you're going to see something completely different in the scriptures of what what basically what James and his family thought of Jesus. To be honest with you, they thought he was crazy. They walked with Jesus, grew up in Egypt, came back. They thought he was crazy. It says in Mark three, verse twenty-one, when his family had heard about this, this these things that Jesus was saying and doing. This is later in life, when he was starting his public ministry. They want to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. They're <laughs> like, His old fan, His own family thought, like, the train had left the station. They thought he was crazy. Like, oh, why in the world don't you just go hammer that nail, Jesus? I just don't understand it. Could you just go pick up that wood, Jesus? Could you just do what everybody else is called to do, Jesus? It'd be so much easier if you didn't draw all this tension to yourself and if you just walk around and saying that you're God all the time. And yet they thought that he was out of his mind. James, the brother of Jesus, who now is declaring to you and me that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing this letter that would find its way into the Holy Scriptures. But when Jesus was starting his public ministry, they thought he was crazy. Mark chapter 3 verse 31 through 35. Says this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Look what Jesus says. Who are my mother and my brothers? They looked at those seating in the circle around him and said, Here are my, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Think how confusing this would have been. They like grew up with Jesus. And like, and Jesus, it seems like he's totally dissing them right now. But he, he's not wanting to kind of lean so heavily on his, on his earthly family. He's saying, you know what, there's so much bigger that's going on here. So it's almost like he just ignores what they had said and saying, hey, your family's outside. But what does Jesus do? He attends to some spiritual work in this text. If if you would uh, just go to the right in your Bible to John 7. John 7. Continuing to just drive home this point in John 7, starting in verse 3. John 7, verse 3 through 9. Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews, there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your your disciples may see the the miracles you do. Verse 4, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you are doing these things. Show yourself to the world. For even, it says in verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come for you at any time. Any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Notice what it says in verse 7. When I was studying this out, I, this was really, this really kind of jumped off the page to me, and maybe this will help make sense of what's going on culturally right now. Verse seven, John seven seven, it says, "The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil." There is a spiritual battle that is raging over our culture right now. And it is, is not a, a just a battle of flesh and blood. It is a, a spiritual battle that is waging in our culture. And it is God waging this war. So Christians, before you think that you're obligated to step into this war, be mindful that it is Jesus, it is a spiritual battle, not one that you can handle by yourself through social media or through any other thing. Something at work, just conversation, you're trying to trying to drive home the truth of God's Word to someone who's convinced that God's Word is not God's Word. You get what I'm saying? There's much more going on here, and yet I think Jesus, when He's saying this, He speaks into something that we we sense and we are experiencing right now. Christians who claim that Jesus Christ is God, who claim that God's word is absolute truth, are now, if ever, if ever, but more, I believe, now than ever, enemies of our culture. Not because we are choosing battlegrounds, but because we have chosen Christ. And the world hates Christ. Therefore, it's going to hate you. It's going to, which is why it's so important that we find strength from one another, which is so important why we need to have our lives engulfed in God's Word. It's so important why we need to pour our lives into into praying, not only for ourselves and our family, but for our culture to be redeemed. There's nothing that's going on, nothing that's going on in this world that cannot be redeemed. Nothing. Nothing. ISIS can be redeemed and pushed back by the power of God. I believe if God's people will humble themselves and pray and quit squabbling back and forth and fighting petty fights and realize there is a spiritual battle that's raging, but just as we have declared, they're saying we will not be shaken. Amen? That we will not be shaken because we're already on the winning side so we're not going to live our lives defeated. So many Christians are living their lives defeated. Back to this character building of James. In John 7, five. I don't know if you saw it a minute ago, but it says this, For even his brothers did not believe in him. So, so what happened in between the time of James and Jesus and brothers and sisters kind of growing up, what happened between that time and then the time of Jesus' public ministry where they thought he was just loco, right? They, they just... They're like, Jesus, I just don't understand you. Why are you, you're just making such a spectacle. What happened in between then and then when the scripture, when James would find his personal letter written to these scattered Christians, what happened between then and now? What happened? You see, something very significant happened. Because at the end of Jesus' public ministry, which was about three years, he was publicly executed for crimes that he did not commit because he had never sinned and as he was brought before his own religious monkey court and they slayed him he died shed blood on a rugged cross in front of hundreds maybe thousands but it just wasn't the death of jesus it was them of seeing the blood that was shed and, and the way that he responded and he was actually praying for those who would persecute him. That's unthinkable. But then when they would take his, his broken body off of the cross and then they would put it into the tomb. But then three days later, what happened? He resurrected. You see, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 there's a very specific group of people who, have, who were basically bore witness to the resurrection. So it wasn't just the, the public death. I mean, all of us could die publicly. It wasn't, the, it wasn't just the public death that, that was like, wow, he must be God. He died on a cross because there were two other people who died on the cross with him. But after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter then to the twelve, then to over five hundred at the same time. And then the scripture tells us from verse three to seven of first chapter of first Corinthians 15, then he appeared to James. And that changed James' life. Because then everything that he was accusing Jesus of, like, I just don't get you. You're out of your mind, Jesus. Now all of those conversations are probably, I I don't know this. This isn't in the Scripture. This is my words. This is just me trying to make sense of it. I, I believe that all of those those conversations and those false accusations of Jesus are probably flashing before his very eyes. And then he sees the resurrected Jesus and he's like, oh, i was so wrong. I was so wrong. I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe we said that. I can't believe that we were doing that to Jesus when He was right the whole time. You see, when you have an experience with the resurrected Christ, your life changes. We've seen that in this church. I've seen that in my own life. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you didn't do it because He is He's on the cross. You did it because the power of God came, the same power that took Him off the cross and resurrected Him out of the tomb is the same power that is promised to the believer to overcome and and just to hold out this promise, and I mention this all the time, the same promise that is given to us in John 10, that we can have abundant life. And that's not just a one-event salvation, but like, wow, I got my ticket to heaven, now I get to do whatever I want to do. It's this, wow, Jesus died for me. And the same power that that was used to to resurrect Jesus is the same power that has been given to me to overcome sin, grief, and doubt, that I don't have to writhe in self-pity anymore. That I don't have to find the own, my own satisfaction for my soul anymore. There's a lot of people who've learned they don't have to put a, a needle in their arm anymore. They don't have to put a, a bottle up to their mouth anymore. They don't have to put their body up against somebody else's body anymore because Jesus Christ sets the soul free. And He can do for you what nothing, nothing, nothing else can. He longs to be the satisfaction for you, for your soul, to change you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, He made Him. It says, for our sake, our sake, people's sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in Him we made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, God the Father, on this mission to redeem souls, not to build buildings, not to create platforms, not to sing songs, not to give a certain amount of money away so you'd feel better about yourself, not so you could fix yourself. But God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, The one who knew no sin to bear the weight of our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. To become the substitute that we need and we long for. That our souls can only be satisfied with the righteousness, the right standing with God. The mission that Jesus was on. Let me ask you this. If Jesus would have sinned, don't you think his family would have been the first ones to say, no, 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 you got it all wrong? What would it be like if you, right, you went out and you went to your family reunion, assuming you have family reunions? We used to do such things when I was in Illinois, three-legged races and all that, until somebody got like... A windshield shattered from a softball game, but that was just another story for another day. And, you know, it was always a fun time having these family reunions. But if you were at a family reunion, you went, and you just sat up, and you said, you know what? <coughs> I'm God. Right? If you did that. How many people in your family would be like, uh, no, you're not, and here's a long list why? Right? Isn't that the case? Like, your family will totally rat you out. Won't they? I learned this the hard way because when Marla and I were dating, I brought her around my mom's family. My, my parents divorced when I was four. And my dad's family, they're pretty much cool, calm, and reserved. And they're just like, all right, you know, just totally accepted her. But no, no, no. When, when, went to my mom's side and went to my uncle's, they were just like, they were there in all the dirty laundry, everything that they thought I had ever done. I mean, it was just incredible in a horrible way. Like, just taking all the things. And I was like, I was like, there's no way she's going to say yes. I'm like, "I I would have told her this eventually. Get like 10 or 15 years down the road. You know, I'd have got to it. But my uncles would be like, no, 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 no. I just want you to know who you are involved with. But I am so glad she said yes. So glad she did. Like your family will totally rat you out, won't they? If you were to claim something bigger than yourself, your family would have been like, your family would have just chopped you down at the knees and be like, no, 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 no. no, Sorry. You're not at the God deity level. Not so much at all. And here's why, right? No one came forward from Jesus' family. Not one person. Not one person came forward and said, no, 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 no. I remember when we were eight and we were outside and all these things were happening and and whatever happened, they started to get into an argument and Jesus dotted his brother's eye, right? That was never said. Do you know why it was never said? Because it never happened. Because as this scripture tells us, for our sake, he, Jesus Christ, bore our sin. Even though he had none of his own, so that we might have something that we could not have on our own—the righteousness of God. James was then, after this event, James was then recognized as one of the key leaders in the early church. As a matter of fact, he would be the the pastor. They didn't have this title, but if there were if there was a church uh, named Jerusalem Bible Church, James was the pastor. He was, he was the pastor in the early church in Jerusalem. So you would see somebody who's the, the half-brother of Jesus, whose whole life had, had just, just dramatically changed, of seeing his brother publicly executed, and then resurrect, proving that he was God, and his whole life was changed after that. As a matter of fact, there would be an event that would happen. I'm not going to be able to draw all this out. It's incredible. We'll probably study this more next year. In Acts 15... Maybe in two years, I'm not sure. But in Acts 15, the first big issue happens in the church, right? This is an issue where everybody came out. They're not, they're not like voting on the color of the carpet. This is like so much bigger than that. Because the early church was largely a Jewish, a Jewish population. There were Jewish people who became Christians. So then James and, and all, all the fellows, they go in. And they're at this, this closed-door meeting. And there's a hush in the crowd, Because at this meeting, in Acts 15, they're having this discussion. Okay, these people who are coming to faith in Christ, do they have to become Jewish first? And the big thing that was on the list that had all the guys' attention is this little surgery that would be required of them to be, uh, not a little surgery if you're a guy, and to be this, this, this little surgery that the guys would have to go through if they said they would have to be Jewish before they're Christians. So imagine how hush-hush this, this environment is. Not everybody was invited to this. This was only the senior leadership. This is a big deal. This would be something that would shape the, the whole church, and it would shape even us, and, and the, the, the capital C church, the, the big church. And as they're having this, this, this dialogue, and, and all the men are sitting cross-legged and nervous, um, Peter spoke first. And then he got done. And then, and then Paul and Barnabas, they spoke next. And the things were still not clear. There's still some confusion. So James stands up. And the crowd is as quiet, I'm sure, as you all are right now. And James stands up as, as an authority, whose life had been absolutely wrecked and redeemed by what he saw his brother, his half-brother, do. And now he stands up with one as authority over everyone else. And even Peter, get this, even Peter sat down. You know that's got to be difficult, right? Read the Scriptures. He's not one to sit down. He's always one to get up talking. And yet, he stands up with authority, showing authority and responsibility over them as a people and they would all listen and at that moment the decision was this no they don't have to become Jewish to be Christians they can be Christians even if they're Jews which is why the latter part of this verse is interesting to me it says James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, to the twelve tribes. The name, James, is, is, it's the English rendering of, of the Old Testament name that you've probably heard of, Jacob. Or as it would be pronounced back then, Jacobus. So now, and Jacob was the, he, he was the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. So now let's read the latter part of verse one again. He says, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So imagine how profound this is. James, whose English, that's the English rendering, of the name Jacobus or Jacob, and they would know they were all Jewish people converted, and this time they were predominantly Jewish people converted to Christianity. And now he goes through and he's saying in this personal letter to the twelve tribes. So he's saying, I understand and you understand that you once were completely 100% Jewish. And he says, now I speak to you not just as Jewish Christians, but as Christian Jews. To the twelve tribes. James, twelve tribes. Jacob or Jacobus, twelve tribes. And he says, Scattered among the nations, scattered among the nations. Christianity in this time frame, after the stoning of Stephen that happened in the end of chapter seven of verse or of, of chapter seven in the book of Acts, is when the mass the, really the mass persecution started to happen. So in that moment, the Christians, when, when the persecution of Stephen, and when he's stoned, and he, he, he just dies a horrible death, and, and he, like Jesus, prays for those who are killing him, stoning him to death. It says at the beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Acts, as it talks about this persecution that the Christians started to scatter. So when James would write this letter, there were already little cornunia groups all over that area. Little groups who, who were, who were doing much better than what we've ever experienced, the cornunia that we've talked about over the last three weeks. They were doing cornunia as they were spread out and they were sent out and they were all doing their things and they would create these little pockets of Christian communities. And they would draw strength from one another. And they would pray, and they would share meals, and they would take the Lord's Supper together. And they would go through, and they would, they would read whatever scriptures they had at the time. They would read those, and they would try and understand those. And they would try and discuss those in groups, as we know this, because this happened in Acts 2. So they would go out and create these little pockets of Cornunia, all around that area. They were scattered because of persecution. When followers of Jesus face opposition from the outside, they find strength on the inside. When followers of Jesus Christ face opposition from the outside, they gain strength on the inside. The day and age that we live in today, Christian, it's a tense one. You need to be with the people of God. You do. You don't need to just check off your church attendance list. You need to be involved in people's lives. Which is why we're launching community groups. Because the, the days that we live in are evil. God is good, but the days are evil. We want people to have that little pocket of koinonia. The same, the same idea that was lived out that James is writing this letter to is what for us. And I just imagine us as just being that little pocket of koinonia groups right around Dublin and Lawrence County. That he's, he's going to be sending this letter out to us so that we'll all challenge each other to live out these principles. But like I prayed earlier, don't get me wrong. These scriptures might be simple to understand, but they're not easy to do. You need God and the Holy Spirit's power to live out the truths from this series. Although it's simple... Although it's clear, the water is deep. And we need Christ and His Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I I just. I thank you for your word. I thank you for teaching us. I thank you for interceding for us. I thank you for challenging us. Father, as we move forward, living out this this letter in in a koinonia fashion, Father, I know there are going to be times where we absolutely fail. But God, send, send send that message of the song that we declared back to you. Send that message that we will not be shaken. That I Will not be shaken. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before we dismiss, I want to—I uh, just want to say thank you to a couple people. Um, I, I, it was amazing today. I was kind of watching everything happen in the cafe and kind of going in there and seeing all of that. I just want you to know there have been hours and hours and hours and a lot of of, of personal resources, not mine, but personal resources from other people in the church to go forward, to, to make the cafe happen, to make all that transition happen. So first of all, I want to say thank you to David Yoder. David has given of himself. He's Yes, yes. He has, he has given of himself and of his personal resources to come in. Um, he's a carpenter by trade. He does anything, anything like that with his hands. He's amazing. And when he had a rainy day at work, instead of going home and putting his feet up and probably taking care of some other things that he was overwhelmed to do, instead he came in here and brought a crew in here several times to help the progress. And he has done... A, who knows how many things in there. I want to say thank you to Shane Preston also, one of our deacons. He also has done that. And uh, they're not in here right now. They've actually stepped out. But Mike Sanders installed the, uh, the decorative lights that you see in here. And he's also doing some other things. Uh, where, where's Mike? Hey, babe, where's Mike? There he- I totally thought you walked out. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, but Mike, uh, he put the lights in on his own time. That's over and above of all his other duties as, as being elder here. Um, I know I've got some other people. Where's Ken? Um, Ken and Jewel. Ken is actually the one who put up the stone on the front of the cafe countertop, which looks incredible, right? Um, and uh, it, was, it was arduous. It was a learning process. Ken had some help. Jewel helped um, Friday night. He was in here basically four nights this week, giving of his own time. That's a big deal. We don't take those things lightly. And I want to say thank you to Randy. Randy, is, he was here. He has... He has vanished. But Randy has also helped, and he's probably going to be helping with some other things as well. He actually uh, put in all of the can lights um, that, that are in the cafe. And every bit of that, I don't think I've, I don't think I've forgotten anyone. Have I forgotten anyone? I don't think so. Um, but you know what? It's, it's people like that, and I, I realize that many of you serve. It's people like that that make ministry happen. And I just want to say thank you. To all of you who have done anything, Um, as far as making that the vision of the cafe, it's taken a lot longer than what we thought it was going to. But praise God, we're in the final stretches. And uh, that means I get to kind of breathe easy a little bit too. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, as you leave today, I just want to say go Dolphins. See you. Have a great week.